Welcome to another deep dive episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen, ready to explore the intricate world of energy markets and photovoltaic or PV uptake. Today's episode is a powerhouse of information, so buckle up as we unravel the complex paper titled, Can the Creation of Separate Bidding Zones Within Countries Create Imbalances in PV Uptake? Evidence from Sweden. It's authored by Johanna Fink from the Department of Economic History at Lund University, Sweden, and was published on December 27, 2023. Let's set the stage. The European Union has set ambitious goals to become climate neutral by 2050 with the European Green Deal. Amidst this green revolution, certain areas in Sweden, rich in natural resources and powered by cheap renewable electricity, are burgeoning as hubs for green industries. Our focus, however, is the odd scenario within Sweden, a country comprising multiple bidding zones, each experiencing drastically different electricity prices. Indeed, Jen. Since 2020, southern Sweden grappling with electricity shortages contrasts sharply with the ultra-low tariff rates in the northern part. Industrial consumers in the north enjoy some of the lowest rates in Europe. Such a divide, of course, significantly influences decisions on investing in renewable energy technologies like solar PV systems. And that's precisely what this paper scrutinizes using a synthetic control approach. The paper's not just academic rigor. It has real-world implications, especially for countries with similar multi-zone structures or those contemplating adopting them. With that context in mind, let's dive into the key concepts. Bidding zones, synthetic control method, and of course, photovoltaic generation. Right. A bidding zone, BZ, is an area within which energy can be exchanged without capacity allocation. Simplified, regions within a country where the electricity prices are determined independently. Contrastingly, the synthetic control method is a data-driven technique used to estimate the impact of policy reforms or changes in places where pure experimental designs aren't feasible. Now to PV. It's a way to generate electric power by converting solar radiation into direct current electricity using semiconductors like silicon. With that fundamental grasp, let's dive headfirst into the paper's core. The research objectives are clearly set to estimate the effects of electricity price divergence within Sweden on the incentives to invest in PV generation. The methodology underpinning this research is the synthetic control approach, where a synthetic counterpart to the real-world scenario is created based on control municipalities unaffected by the policy change. The paper's key finding is staggering. PV uptake in northern Sweden's municipalities is reduced by a whopping 40.9 to 48 percent compared to their southern counterparts after the creation of distinct BZs. This revelation is groundbreaking. It implies that separating BZs hinders PV expansion in low electricity price areas, potentially derailing a whole nation's renewable energy targets. Spot on. But let's step back for a moment, Jen, and reflect on these findings' broader implications. The implications are indeed profound. If these findings are consistent across other nations and forms of renewable energy, we could witness an uneven expansion of green energy, driven more by market forces than by climate needs. Economically, we might even see a shift in where industries, especially energy-intensive ones, decide to set up shop, chasing lower energy costs rather than evenly distributing economic growth. Politically, it will push governments to rethink how they structure their electricity markets to balance the goal of decarbonization with market incentives. 
Equally important is understanding the study's methodology, since it offers a blueprint for conducting similar research in places facing price divergence within a unified national market. As we near the end of our exploration, let's summarize the main points. Within a country, differing electricity prices can heavily influence investments in renewable energy. In Sweden's case, the cheaper northern electricity has inadvertently dampened the enthusiasm for solar PV investments. And this leads us to ponder the broader relevance of such a study. It speaks volumes about the delicate balancing act governments face in promoting renewable energy while ensuring fair market practices. The takeaway is unmistakable. Policymakers must consider the local impacts of broader market reforms. Ensuring equitable access to renewable energy regardless of geographic location is crucial for a successful transition to a sustainable future. Our foray into Johanna Fink's research has certainly been illuminating, figuratively and literally. And as always, we're grateful to our listeners for joining us on this journey through the circuits and cycles of the renewable energy landscape. Stay energized until next time. Tired of your energy bills in southern Sweden, feeling like a heavyweight champion, while northern Sweden swings light as a feather? Introducing Sunsplitter, the eccentric energy mavens leveling the solar playing field across all bidding zones. At Sunsplitter, we believe in a sun for everyone. Why should northerners be left in the dark just because their electricity is cheaper than an IKEA flat pack? We sling solar panels up north like it's midsummer all year round at a price that rivals the thriftiness of a Swedish grandmother. Our patented daylight diversifier turns every ray into a dazzling light show, captivating enough to make even the northern lights jealous. But wait, there's more. Get your panels installed and we'll throw in a gamified electric meter. Watch as your PV points pile up and compete with your neighbors for the title of Supreme Sunseeker. And for our southern friends, we haven't forgotten you. Join the Sunsplitter Cooperative and partake in the collective sunny delight from our northern installations without moving an inch. Sunsplitter, smashing energy imbalances with a sledgehammer of sunlight. Let's make Sweden's solar scene as balanced as a lingonberry tart on a midsummer picnic table. Call us now at One Sunsplit, and together we'll ensure that Sweden's sun shines equally on all. Sunsplitter, where every zone gets a tan. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're wading into the deep waters of financial modeling, particularly focusing on a fascinating paper that explores the concept of implied volatility and how it's path-dependent. Exactly, Jen. Our listeners might be wondering why this paper is significant to the field of finance. Implied volatility is a cornerstone of financial theory, especially in pricing options, which are types of derivatives. Right, Tom. Normally, when we talk about volatility in financial markets, we're referring to the level of uncertainty or risk associated with the size of changes in a security's value. Implied volatility takes this a step further. It's derived from an options pricing model intended to represent the market's view of how likely it is that a security's price will move. This paper, authored by Hervé Andres, Alexander Boumezoud, and Benjamin Jordan, proposes a new model for predicting implied volatility surfaces, basically a visual representation of the implied volatilities across various strikes and maturities for a given time. And here's where it gets technical, Jen. 
The paper builds on the notion that implied volatility doesn't just depend on the current price, but actually has a memory. It depends on the path the underlying asset's price has taken over time. That's a game changer for financial theorists and practitioners since it challenges long-held beliefs about market behavior and the efficiency of the famous black Scholes model, which is a fundamental theory in financial economics. The critique of black Scholes model is also a key concept we need to understand here. The paper points out its inadequacy since the model implies a static volatility, which we now know isn't the case. If the model were perfect, implied volatility would be the same for all options under a given asset. They're using a ton of complex vocabulary in their findings. At the money forward, ATM, for instance, refers to an option whose strike is set ahead of time to match the expected future price of the asset. Other terms they throw around include stochastic volatility, which refers to models that allow for the randomness in the volatility to vary, and path dependency, which, as we mentioned earlier, is the impact past prices have on current volatility. They also mention SSVI parameterization a lot, Tom. It's short for surface stochastic volatility inspired. It's a model to represent the implied volatility surface, and it's key to their paper's methodology. They apply empirical methods to historical data to show the predictive power of past asset prices on future volatility, and they employ this SSVI parameterization to do so. But let's not spill all the beans right away. We're going to take a deep dive into their methodology, findings, implications, and our thoughts in today's episode. Buckle up. It's going to be a complex but thrilling ride into the world of financial modeling. All right, Jen, let's sail into the core of this paper. The research aims to forecast implied volatility surfaces along with the underlying asset returns. The team meticulously combed through historical data of implied volatilities for the S&P 500 and determined how past returns influence the volatility outcomes using mathematical features like returns and square returns. Onto their methodology, they fashioned a model incorporating these features and applied a fitting process to optimize parameters. They found that the past four years of an asset's price trajectory were paramount to prediction, and the effect diminished with longer maturities. Such a revelation, Tom. Their results showed that a large chunk of implied volatility, especially for short-dated maturities, could be explained by this path dependency on past returns. And they didn't stop there. They honed the SSVI parameterization down to just four parameters and demonstrated its effectiveness in replicating market volatility surfaces. Now, the implications of these findings are pretty vast. If validated under a broader set of conditions, these could redefine how we approach volatility in option pricing and risk management. That's what makes this paper incredibly influential, Jen. By modeling the joint dynamics of implied volatility and asset price, the authors have provided a robust framework that may pave the way for more precise forecasting and better hedging strategies. Summing up our discussion, the paper Implied Volatility also is path-dependent, goes beyond the traditional thinking, and brings a new perspective to volatility modeling. It's not just a deep dive into the mechanics of volatility. It's a challenge to the status quo, championing a dynamic approach over the static views of the past. And on a personal note, Tom, it's exciting to see theories evolve. When we tackle financial markets with a more realistic, nuanced view, that's when we really start making smarter decisions. Absolutely, Jen. 
Approaching volatility with this empirical data-driven lens can be a leap forward for all market participants, from analysts to traders to portfolio managers. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, a company that emerged in the wake of this groundbreaking paper. Have you ever felt your life's too predictable? Your coffee's always hot, your socks always match, and your cat never knocks over your cereal bowl? Well, fear not. Introducing Volatility Tea, the only brew in the market based on the monumental financial paper, implied volatility also is path-dependent. Volatility Tea is the first and only tea that changes flavor as you drink it. The taste journey isn't linear, it's path-dependent, with every sip's flavor influenced by the sequence of your sips. Earl Grey at first taste, but by your third sip, it might be oolong, and by the last drop, who knows, maybe a tangy hint of hibiscus or a kick of spicy chai. No boring tea times here. Not just your taste buds will be on a roller coaster, but so will your caffeine level. Awaken with a jolt of energy or softly mellow down. It's all up to the path you've sipped. Each volatility tea bag comes with a complex proprietary algorithm that guarantees unpredictability. Just like in finance, the only certainty is uncertainty. Volatility tea. It's not just a cup of tea, it's a full trading day experience in every mug. Get yours today and watch Volatility infuse your life with flavor. And don't forget to use our podcast code SIPPY for a 10% discount off your first order. But hurry, the offer is as volatile as the market. Here today, gone the next sip. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another insightful episode. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we have a fascinating topic that ties into how we, as consumers, perceive the quality of the products we buy, especially in light of environmental concerns. Absolutely, Jen. We're unpacking the paper titled Mental Perception of Quality, Green Marketing as a Catalyst for Brand Quality Enhancement by Salah Gobi and Madi Nohekan. This paper explores an incredibly relevant topic in today's consumer market. With environmental conservation becoming a pressing issue, Tom, consumers are looking at products through a green lens. How does this affect their perception of brand quality? And that's exactly what this study aims to investigate, Jen. It looks at the food exporting industry and assesses how green marketing strategies influence perceived brand quality. So let's delve in. First up, it's essential to understand why this study is a big deal. The food export industry is massive and has a direct link to environmental issues like pollution, resource use, and waste management. Absolutely, Tom. This study is significant because it attempts to quantify how much green marketing impacts brand perception, which is a relatively new area in research. If companies understand this, it can drive more environmentally friendly practices industry-wide. And before we dive deeper, let's unravel some key concepts here. Green marketing is a term that's thrown around a lot, but what does it really encompass? Well, it's basically marketing efforts focused on highlighting the environmentally friendly aspects of a product or service. This can include the materials used, the production process, and even the packaging. Moving on to the core discussion of the paper. The researchers had a sample size of 182 individuals from companies like Kala, Solico, and several others, Tom. They used questionnaires to collect data on the effects of green marketing strategies on brand quality. They looked at various dimensions of green marketing, green products, green promotion, green distribution, and green pricing. 
Their findings were quite conclusive, Jen. They found positive effects across the board. All the components of green marketing they studied appeared to significantly boost perceived brand quality. Which brings us to implications, Tom. What does all this mean for the industry and for us as consumers? Well, it suggests that environmentally responsible strategies don't just help the planet, Jen, but they also have tangible benefits for businesses in consumer perceptions and potentially in financial performance. Crucially, this bolsters the argument that going green is a win-win situation. Companies get to boost their brand, and the environment gets a much-needed reprieve from harmful practices. Now, as we wind down, let's recap the main points. The research indicates a strong positive correlation between green marketing strategies and perceived brand quality in the food export sector. And personal reflections, Tom. I think this paper really highlights the power of consumer perception and the ever-increasing role that ethical and environmental considerations play in our purchasing decisions. Couldn't agree more, Jen. As awareness and concern for the environment grow, this research proves that companies that align with these values can enhance their brand in the eyes of consumers. It's up to the industry now to take heed and up their green game, not just for the environment, but for their longevity and success. And on that note, we wrap up today's episode. I hope our discussion has given you, our listeners, some food for thought on green marketing and its impact on what we perceive as quality. As always, thanks for tuning in. We're stoked to bring you more episodes that shed light on papers like this, which have a direct bearing on both the marketplace and our planet. Until next time, keep thinking green and stay curious. Hey, listeners. Are you ready to turn your brand from overlooked to overbooked? Introducing Eco-Enhance Mint, the one-stop shop for sprucing up your brand's image with a minty fresh twist on green marketing. Picture this, your product hitting the shelves not only in biodegradable packaging, but also with a little pack of seeds for customers to plant their very own tree. Talk about taking root in their minds. But wait, there's more. With our patented Greenwash Be Gone detector, we ensure your marketing is as genuinely green as a leprechaun's waistcoat. From organic social media campaigns that grow faster than bamboo to eco-friendly jingles that stick in your brain like gum on a hot sidewalk, Eco Enhancement is your go-to for all things green. We'll even toss in a complimentary solar-powered calculator so you can add up all the green your green marketing will make you. That's right. No AA batteries here, folks. So dial 1-800-ECO-MINT today and give your brand the breath of fresh air it deserves. Eco Enhancement, where sustainability meets profitability and your customers can't help but love you a whole lot mulch more. Call now and we'll even throw in a compostable confetti grenade to celebrate your first green campaign launch. Because nothing says quality like sustainable celebration. Eco Enhancement, go green or go home. Terms and conditions apply. May cause unexpected tree hugging. Welcome, folks, to our detailed breakdown of the paper Deep Reinforcement Learning for Quantitative Trading by Mao Chun Xu and colleagues. This research is an exciting frontier in the intersection of artificial intelligence and financial trading. Indeed, Tom. To set the stage, quantitative trading, or QT, is all about using mathematical models to trade securities automatically. It's had a substantial impact on financial markets, 
automating the decision-making process to reduce emotional biases and manual errors. Right, Jen. This paper is significant because it addresses some of the most persistent challenges in QT, such as noisy and high-frequency data, as well as the exploration-exploitation dilemma. That's the balance between trying new trading strategies and sticking with what's proven effective. They propose a solution called QTNet, which uses an approach called Deep Reinforcement Learning, or DRL. This form of AI learns through interaction with an environment, in this case financial markets, to achieve the goal of profitable trading. And unlike many traditional models that struggle with the ever-changing financial markets, QTNet combines DRL with something called imitative learning. It essentially helps the model learn from established trading tactics while searching for new lucrative strategies. The paper's core revolves around the development and testing of QTNet. They've designed an artificial agent that makes decisions based on a framework called Partially Observable Markov Decision Process, or PHOMDP for short. This is crucial because it allows the model to make decisions with incomplete information, much like traders in the real world. Now, in terms of methodology, the authors use something called Recurrent Deterministic Policy Gradient, RDPG, which is an algorithm that's part of the DRL family. It's particularly suitable for QT because it efficiently handles high-dimensional data present in the financial markets. Absolutely, Tom. It's also worth noting they used real minute-frequency financial market data for training their trading agent which means their findings have practical applications and aren't just theoretical. Speaking of practical applications, the implications of this research are vast. QTNet's ability to learn and adapt to diverse market conditions could make it a valuable tool for hedge funds, financial institutions, and individual traders looking to optimize their trading strategies. As for their results, the paper shows QTNet to be pretty adept at extracting meaningful market signals for successful trading, boasting overall effectiveness in different market scenarios. That's quite groundbreaking for AI-driven QT. Wrapping up, Jen, this paper delves into a sophisticated AI system geared towards improving QT. QTNet appears to hold promise in enhancing trade profitability while adjusting to new market conditions, a remarkable step for the financial industry. Completely agree with you, Tom. The confluence of deep learning and QT could potentially revolutionize how trading is done, making it more efficient, less biased, and perhaps even more democratic. Exciting times ahead in the world of finance. Are you tired of your trading bot being more confused than a chameleon in a bag of Skittles? Do you want a trading strategy that evolves faster than a teenager's social media habits? Introducing. Quantum Leap QL, the new AI trading buddy that's read more charts than a caffeinated librarian. Enlightened by the cutting-edge deep reinforcement learning for quantitative trading paper, Quantum Leap QL is one part genius, one part market whisperer, and three parts profit-seeking missile. With Quantum Leap QL, you'll be riding the stock waves smoother than a dolphin with a surfboard. Watch your trading strategy adapt in real time like a chameleon. Yes, now, outside that Skittles bag blending into the latest market trends. Forget about those outdated algorithms that move slower than a sloth on a lazy Sunday. Quantum Leap QL's got the speed, the smarts, and the sass. Subscribe to Quantum Leap QL now, and we'll even throw in a pair of quantum goggles. Disclaimer, goggles will not improve trading ability, but 
will make you look 20% cooler while making bank. Quantum Leap QL. Because your portfolio deserves a future so bright, you'll need those shades. Call 1-800-QL now. Quantum Leap QL is not responsible for any time travel paradoxes. Please trade responsibly. Welcome to today's episode of our award-winning podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we're diving deep into a recent study that's caused quite a stir in the climate policy arena. That's right, Jen. The paper we'll discuss is titled Dynamics of Global Emission Permit Prices and Regional Social Cost of Carbon Under Non-Cooperation. A mouthful, but an important one. This study evaluates the interplay between global emission trading and individual regional efforts to mitigate carbon emissions in light of the 2015 Paris Agreement. Precisely. And before we embark on this information voyage, let's clarify for our listeners that this podcast is for educational purposes, aiming to simplify complex scientific concepts into something more digestible. It's also important to note that we're not advocating for specific policies, but rather exploring this research's implications and potential applications in real-world policymaking. With that said, let's set the stage. The fundamental concern of our current times is the urgent need to address climate change. And a significant effort has been the Paris Agreement. It's an international treaty aimed to limit global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, setting emissions reduction targets for each country called INDCs, or Intended Nationally Determined Contributions. The study we're reviewing takes a dynamic, multi-region model approach, examining how emission permit trading among 12 aggregated regions worldwide might play out in a non-cooperative setting. Non-cooperative meaning that instead of a kumbaya world where everyone works together, regions only stick to their own goals, which, let's face it, is closer to our current reality. Now, the researchers have applied the concept of a global cap-and-trade system. It's like a carbon market, where regions can buy or sell their emission permits to comply with their caps. And they found that, by 2050, the global price for an emission permit could soar to $749 per ton of carbon. But that's not all. The regional social cost of carbon could actually vary significantly. The model also suggests that a regional carbon tax, a fee per ton of emissions, could complement the cap-and-trade system. The optimal tax should equal the difference between the marginal abatement cost, that's the cost to reduce emissions, and the permit price in the market. In essence, it's about striking a balance between what it costs a region to cut down emissions and the going rate for permits in the global market. And now, let's navigate through the detailed sections of the paper, starting with the introduction and grounding some of the key concepts for our listeners. Absolutely. As we crack this paper open, we'll talk about the significance of emission trading systems, ETS, and the social cost of carbon, or SCC. These are both crucial concepts in environmental economics and the backbone of climate policy discourse. On to the methodology, where we'll dissect how the researchers built their model, a dynamic game theory framework designed to predict regions' decisions on emission abatement, permit purchases, and capital investment. Then, dear listeners, we'll reveal the core findings of the research. We're talking about projected permit trade volumes, abatement efforts, and how these could shift the needle on our global thermometer. And of course, we'll zoom out to analyze potential impacts. How could this model influence climate policies? Does it make a case for more aggressive global cooperation 
or stricter emission caps. Finally, Tom and I will offer our personal reflections on the broader relevance of this research and what it means for future generations and policymakers. It's a dense but thrilling journey ahead. Make sure you're strapped in as we explore the potential paths towards a cooler planet. And with that, let's begin our in-depth discussion of dynamics of global emission permit prices and regional social cost of carbon under non-cooperation. Stay tuned. Are you ready to breathe easy in a world where carbon comes at a price? Introducing Cap and Chuckle, the first emission trading comedy club where the only thing clearer than the air is the sound of laughter. At Cap and Chuckle, we take carbon caps seriously, but that's the only serious thing about us. We've transformed emission permits into punchlines and CO2 into rofl. Each chuckle at our club earns you carbon credits because we believe saving the planet should be a gas. And if you've got excess credits, trade them in at our bar for a carbon on the rocks or try our signature cocktail, the Greenhouse Giggle. A night at Cap and Chuckle isn't just a great date, it's an investment in a cleaner, funnier world where your laughs are literally offsetting emissions. So come on down to Cap and Chuckle, where we put the cap in cackle and the trade in trademark humor. Laugh responsibly, folks, and help the planet while you're at it. It's no joke. It's Cap and Chuckle, where the only thing global warming is our hot comedy lineup. 